We've been talking about our relationships in the home, the husband, the wife, last week being parents. And hopefully you've seen that there's kind of been a different approach than normally taken. And the point I've been trying to make is that it's all of our responsibilities to help each other to get to heaven. That's the husband's primary responsibility to help his wife and his children to get to heaven. And the same is true with the wife. And the children have the same responsibility, I think, to help their their moms and dads to ultimately get to heaven. And so this morning we're going to look at the hope of a good child, which is a little different than what you may be expecting. But I want us to realize how important that relationship is. In the 1700s, there was a poet by the name of Samuel Coolridge, and he was talking to a friend who had come to visit one day. And during that conversation, they got around to rearing children. And the visitor that was there visiting the poet said, I believe children should be given the freedom to make all their own decisions. Parents should not decide what their offspring should think or do. This will help their children to learn how to grow up to their full potential. And the poet smiled at him and said, that's interesting. And then they went on about their conversation. And finally, the poet said, while you're here... Why don't we go outside and see my flower garden? And so they went outside, and when they reached the garden where the flowers were supposed to be, the visitor was shocked. He said, this isn't a flower garden. There's nothing here but weeds. And the poet said, yes, it used to be filled with roses. But this year, I decided to let the garden grow as it wished. And I didn't think it needed to be weeded or cared for. And this is the result. What that poet was saying is saying this. Parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, they need to help shape the minds of children. And when I said last week, and I've said before, that you know I don't want my child to be raised by the village, but I want them to be helped along the way by those who have the same standards that I have when we see what is written in God's Word. God's Word is ultimately the standard, and we need to all be on the same page. We all need to be striving for the same thing. And that's why it's difficult sometimes when a father and a mother or husband and wife, they don't agree when it comes to what the Bible teaches. That it's something that is very important in all of our lives to realize that we want to be what God wants us to be. Because ultimately, we want heaven as our home. And so I want those that are given my children, grandchildren instructions to be on the same page. I don't want them to hear something that's going to contradict what the Bible teaches. I want them to stand up for what God's Word says. I want them to be an example, whether it is an aunt or an uncle or some other member of the family. I want them to realize how important it is to follow what God wants us to do. And when children are left to their own devices, they have a tendency to grow up up wild and untamed. And you may say, well, I don't believe that. Well, I think that we are reaping some of that in our society today, where people have been given the opportunity to do what they want to do as opposed to living by a standard that God has given to us. I remember years ago listening to some parents on television who were talking about their children and they were not going to make their children do anything. They were going to let them do what they wanted to do. 
They didn't think that they should be uh, formed in some way. Let that child grow and do just what we're talking about here with, with the weed garden. Let them develop into what they want to be. And I thought when I was listening to that, do you really believe that? Are you real? Do you really believe that? Do you see, sometimes we really believe that. Let them do what they want when it comes to their spiritual life. But do we believe that when it comes to their physical life? Okay, little Johnny, you don't want to take a bath today. I know you got mud and crud all over you. You just live in it. That'll be fine. Oh, you don't want to go to school today? Oh, that's fine. You can just stay home. Do we really believe that we don't want to give them direction in the physical? No, in the physical, we want to do... Are you going to let them stay in that dirty diaper? What are you going to do? You see, we have a standard. And people realize that they need to be taught. They need to be trained. And we don't like that word. I've had people say, oh, you train a dog. You don't train a child. Well, Solomon said we train a child. And sometimes that's why a parent has to say over and over and over and over, pick up your coat, hang up your coat. And when you get old like me, you got a wife that says, pick up your coat, pick up your coat. She's still trying to train me. But you see, we have the Bible that tells us what we need to do. And when we allow our children to grow up and make all their own decisions, then we're asking, we're asking for trouble. Because many times those children grow up into adults who are wounded and broken. People, children need guidance. And in our text today, we see what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. He's telling his son, My son, forget not my law, but let thy heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. I want you to notice that this father is telling his son that if this boy kept his father's commandments, that he'd have years of life and peace ahead of him. Let me ask the dads here. Would you make that comment to your children? Listen to what I'm saying and you're going to have a long life and you're going to have peace and all these great things are going to happen to you. Do you have the courage to say that? And if they followed your example, would that be true? You see, sometimes we have a tendency... To say one thing, but do something else. And what Solomon was saying, that he would have years of life and peace ahead of him if he followed his commandments, and that sounds very familiar. Because it's found somewhere else in the Old Testament. And where do you suppose Solomon got that idea? Well, it's found in Exodus Chapter 20 and verse 12, where it says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And so God is telling them, telling children, honor your parents. Guess what? Every one of us is a child. So that responsibility isn't just down here. We're to honor our parents even when we're older. That's a responsibility that God has given us. And that it, and it is really important that we do that because uh, God wants that. And we want to get to heaven. And then we can see in, a, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1-3, through 3, where it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. 
Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, I have one of those parents that if I disobeyed, I wasn't going to live long on the earth. But I don't think that that's what he's trying to tell us. I think he's trying to show us that when we're doing what's right, we have the possibility of having a prosperous life, a better life, a, a good life, and that we will have that peace. And it's a promise that we have. And here we find that this commandment was only the only one with promise that if you honored your, uh, your parents, that your days would be long on the earth. But notice in Proverbs chapter 3, notice what Solomon added. He added a little bit to that commandment when he said, length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. That wasn't in the Ten Commandments. And that's not even what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6. So in other words, Solomon is saying, if you do keep my commandments, then you're going to have a long and a peaceful life. Now notice that's not what the Fifth Commandment said. So why change it? Why does it say to simply honor? Why does the fifth commandment say, honor your parents? Honor thy father and thy mother. Why does it say it that way? Because God realizes that sometimes fathers and mothers have some really bad ideas. They behave badly. They talk badly. They say things they should not say. And I've seen parents that will laugh and giggle when they hear a child swearing or cursing or saying something that's filthy they shouldn't say because they think it's funny. And I wonder how funny is it going to be when they grow up and they're saying those same things. not going to be so funny. And you'll hear parents say, where did you get that? Where did you hear that? Sometimes they hear it out of your mouth. I used to work with a girl. And she, every other word, uh, you know, you, you hear that saying, swore like a sailor, that was her. And she was taking care of her nephews and her nieces one day, and they let out a, a big long word that she said, or that they had heard, obviously. And she goes, I don't know where they get that. I said, really? Have you listened to yourself? Listen to how you talk. They're in your presence. You think they're not picking stuff up from you? And that's what we do sometimes. We don't pay attention to what we're doing. We're not, we don't pay attention to what we're saying and realize that there's ears and eyes that are listening to us and learning from us. And so it's important to realize that when we honor what the Lord's saying, He isn't saying do everything that they say because He knows that parents sometimes say and do the wrong things. Sometimes they encourage their children to say and do the wrong things. And so they talk badly and they act badly and they do those things that they should not do. And so in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. In other words, a child must obey his parents. But if that parent commands that child to do something morally wrong, those things don't follow, fall under honoring mom and dad. 
So young people, when people are, when your parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles are trying to show you what the Bible teaches, <clears throat> trying to encourage you to follow what God's Word says, you need to honor that. You need to listen to what they're saying. Oh yeah, I know, I know. It sounds so old-fashioned. And everybody else that I go to school with and everybody else I know, they can go and they can do and they can dress any way they want. My parents, I think they got off of Noah's Ark. They won't let me do anything. Well, they'll let you do some things. They just won't let you do things that they know are going to hurt you. You say, well, I don't see how it hurts my friends. You know why you don't see how it hurts your friends? Because you don't live in their house. You're not living their life. <clears throat> and the grass is always greener on the other side. I've driven by fields where cows were out you know, eating the grass. And it's always funny because you see them so many times with their heads on the other side. Strung through barbed wire, trying to eat the grass on the other side when they got a whole pasture on that side. And that's the way we are. Sometimes we're not happy with what we have. We want something outside. Something outside of God's parameters. And our parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, if they're true Christians, they're trying to protect you. They're trying to help you. Why? Because they want you to get to heaven. Solomon is telling his son to keep his commandments. And I find that very interesting that Solomon says to keep his. He's not saying keep God's commandments. He says keep his, meaning Solomon. His father is saying, do what, what I'm commanding you. And if that son did that, he would live long, successful, and a peaceful life. And so I asked this morning, how could Solomon say that? Well, when you look in Proverbs, you can see that Solomon's commandments in Proverbs, they point to God. You see, Solomon made some foolish decisions. He did some things that were wrong. But he was encouraging us and other people to do what was right. And we need to listen to what's right, no matter who it's coming from. If it's the right thing, it's the right thing to do. And that's what Solomon's wanting us to see. You see, the core of everything that Solomon wrote is really found in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, which was read for us, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all thy heart, and lean not on thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Be not wise in thy own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It shall be a health to thy navel and a marrow to thy bones. What's Solomon saying? Trust in the Lord. Not just halfway, but trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Listen to what the Lord wants. <clears throat> Don't lean on your own understanding. You see, sometimes we look at life and we say, I think I know better than what God knows. I think that I can do it better than God said, and it just doesn't work. We can see people in the Old Testament, people in the New Testament that went contrary to what God said. And we see the results of it. And many times they lost their life as a result of that. And young people, let me just say, trust in God. 
Don't lean on your own understanding because the Bible reminds us that there's a way that seemeth right, but where's it going to lead? It's going to lead to destruction. And whether we like it or not, that teenager that thinks they know everything, they don't know everything. And they'll wise up eventually and realize that they didn't know everything. They just thought that because we all go through that phase. Some of us longer ago than others. But we've all gone through that phase where we thought we knew better than mom and dad and perhaps even better than God. So trust in God with all thy heart. Don't lean on your own understanding because it's, you can go, it can lead you in the wrong direction and acknowledge His ways. And so we see three words that are used there. Trust, acknowledge, and fear. We need to trust God. Why do we trust God? Because He's proven Himself over and over and over. He's faithful to His Word. And so we can trust God. He's not going to let us down. You see, sometimes we, we have struggles in life, and sometimes we think that God has abandoned us. God said He would never forsake us or leave us. Now, sometimes we're not getting the answer that we want in our prayer or the desires that we have. But we've got to leave things in God's hands that we trust in. And I would venture to say, if you ask a lot of people in this audience today, did it work out trusting God? Many will say, yes, it did. And if they're honest, they would say, I'm not sure that it was going to work out to begin with, but it did. And so we can trust God because He's faithful. And we need to acknowledge God, acknowledge the fact that it's because of Him that we are in existence today and that we live and we're alive. It's because of what He's done for us that we can have the forgiveness of sin. And so we acknowledge the fact that we need God. We're dependent upon God. And without Him, we would be nothing. And then we need to fear the Lord. We need to respect. That word fear involves respect. We respect what He's telling us to do. What He wants us to do. And we realize that we're in His hands. And that someday we're going to give an answer for our life. And that's when I said, you know, I mentioned last week, on the Day of Judgment, I'll know whether I'm a successful parent or not. That's what all of us need to realize. We're going to stand before God and give an account of our lives, of all the relationships that we've been talking about. So it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. And God knows what we're doing. You know, sometimes I'll have people say a, say a bad word in, in, in front of me and they'll say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I shouldn't say that in front of you. And I will say, it's not me you have to worry about. It's the guy upstairs. That's where you need to be concerned. Oh, I, I said something I shouldn't in the church building. It doesn't matter where you're at. You shouldn't say it. You shouldn't say it. Whether you're out there or in here. See, we need to have the fear of the Lord. Knowing that we're going to answer to Him someday. And He sees all and He knows all. And it's not just the bad stuff that He sees. He sees the good stuff we do too. He sees when you help someone. He hears when you uh, encourage someone. 
He knows when you're doing what you're supposed to do. And He's delighted when you do that. If you have your Bible, and I hope everybody has a Bible, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's a long passage of Scripture that I want us to look at, so I couldn't put it on the screen. But if you have your Bible, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we're going to begin reading in verse 6. And it says, These words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them as a sign upon their, thy hand, and they shall be frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee out of the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, and when thou hast eaten to be full, then beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. What's God telling us there? What does that mean? It means that God's commandments should be so much a part of our life, especially as moms and dads, that our kids and our grandkids and our nieces and nephews and even the kids in the neighborhood can't even look at you without seeing Christ in your life. That's what people need to see when they look at us. I've told the story before you know, about vacation Bible school and my wife taught a class and we were out one day after vacation Bible school was over and we ran into some people we know and we go up to the table and we're talking and a little girl that was at our vacation Bible school looked at Chris and she goes, are you Jesus? And I thought, you know, what is she teaching? But isn't that a question that should be asked of all of us? Shouldn't the world be able to see Jesus in our lives? You see, sometimes we want to run around this world like undercover agents. We don't want anybody to know that we're Christians. Because if they find out, they might not like us. They might not feel the same way they did before. And trust me, I've had people like that that don't want to be a part of your life because you're a Christian. And so you need to realize how important it is that you live that Christian life. And when you walk and when you talk and when you lie down and when you get up and when you see your, or use your hands or when you uh, use your eyes, all of those things should be important that people see that Christ is living in your life. Paul put it this way. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Paul had the right idea. You see, God should be so much a part of our life that they can't get away from it. And you should do all that you can because you want them 
to live a long, successful, and peaceful life. I guess the question that some may have is, is that taking it too far? Are we taking it too seriously? Should it really be a part of my life 24-7? Or is it something that, you know, we come on Sunday, and then we can go back home, and we can do what we want. Some people think that, as I said, let their children do whatever they want when it comes to their spiritual lives. Let them make their decision. I think that we know that children need guidance. And I've had people that say, well, that's kind of crazy. You're kind of crazy if you think that you should be living this 24-7 and and talking talking about this to your children. I hope that my children realize how important God is, that it's not just by the things that I say, but it's the life that I live. And when they're around other people, especially our people, because you see, this is our family, I expect everybody to conduct themselves the way they should. Is that a crazy idea? Or is that a godly idea? We're all in the same family. We're all following following the same standards. Oh, I know that some of us are stronger than others, and some of us, uh, you know, have uh, more talents than others. But we're all still part of the family of God. I've had people say, when you read that passage of scripture, isn't that kind of brainwashing? I don't think it's kind of brainwashing. I think it's part of training. You say it and you do it. You say it and you do it. You say it and you do it. Too often we say it and we don't do it. And they see that. And when they see that, you're planting the seed. And sometimes you reap the the consequences of that seed being planted. Well, think about it. How serious was Jesus when He died on the cross for your sins? Now here's some advice. Don't try to fake your Christianity. Don't try to pretend that you're something that you're not because your kids will be able to tell when you're faking it. But if if we want our kids and our grandchildren and, and family members and even the kids on the block to live long and successful lives and peaceful lives... We need to take our Christianity seriously. And I mean all the time, every day, all day, every day of the week. Because guess what? If we don't, they won't. Now, if you're not a parent, or a grandparent, or an aunt, or an uncle... Why should you care? I mean, it's not your kid. So why should you care? You should care because you might be the only voice for Christ that those children ever hear. Those kids in your neighborhood ever hear. Or you might be that extra influence that they need in their lives to make the right choices. 
I don't want to lay a guilt trip on anyone today, but think about this. Is there a child that's not related to you, that you've been involved with? Maybe someone in the neighborhood. Maybe it's a friend of your one of your children. Maybe it's someone else that you know, a friend of a, 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 a friend's child or something. And maybe you've invited that child to church. And you take a part in their life. It gives you an opportunity to share with them what this Christian life is all about. And you may be the only person who can ever give them hope of the future. As I said, we plant seeds. Then I, you know, I'm going to talk about vacational Bible school again. A lot of times we have people that come, they don't have any religious background. They don't have a mom and dad that care about the church and God's Word like you do. And so we have an opportunity to plant seeds when we do that. And sometimes those seeds germinate later on in life because they realize what they were taught while they were here and they remember those things and they remember that person, that teacher, whoever it may be, that that person cared about them. And you know what? That makes a big difference in someone's life. Because we go through life and we don't expect people to do a lot for us. Have you ever watched the, uh, what is it, the undercover boss? I don't know if it's even still on, but I used to watch that occasionally. And the thing that always stuck out in my mind is at the end of the show where the CEO or the boss is dealing with some employee that he come in contact with when he went and worked in the place. And he's starting to tell them what they're going to do, he's going to do for them. And they start to cry. Why do they cry? Why do they get emotional? I'm not talking about the CEO. Sometimes they do too. But I'm talking about the recipient. Because they're used to living in a world where no one cares. And now someone cared. And you can have your own uh, thoughts about why they did that or whatever. But that's what it does to people. You see, people don't care about how much we know. They want to see how much we care. And sometimes when we show that care, it stands out in their mind, and it will stand out in their mind for a lifetime. Why? Because the world is the world, but God's people are different. You see, children need to be taught how to behave and how to live their lives. And children need to be taught. And that may turn some people off. They may think that a child should be able to do and to act any way that they want. But that child needs to be taught what is good and what is right, and they need to be taught how to conduct themselves. And that's the the child's parents' ultimate responsibility. They're primarily responsible for doing that. But sometimes parents don't do what they're supposed to do. And when you have contact with others, even if they're children, you have an opportunity to teach them about Jesus Christ. In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, it says, Train up a child in a way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, is that just talking spiritually? We apply it spiritually, and yes, but do we need to teach our children how to behave? How to conduct their lives? How to be honest? How to be trustworthy? How to be loyal? How to be dependable? How to talk? 
how to conduct themselves. I think it's all involved in training that child. And yeah, it takes over and over. You've got to be repetitive. You've got to say it over and over. And that's part of the training. Proverbs chapter 29, and verse 17, Correct thy child, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. You see, Solomon realized that children left to their own, they're, they're not going to make you happy. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18. Chasten thy son while there is hope. I thought that was interesting that I'm going to stop right there. While there's hope. I think what he's implying there is that you need to start while they're young. Because if you wait too long, it may not happen. So chasten thy son while there is hope. And let not thy soul spare for his crying. Oh yeah, they're not going to like it. They're not going to be happy. They may cry, shed tears, weep, and all those things. Or they may moan and complain about, oh, you don't let me do anything. I can't have any fun. Everybody else gets to do it. But guess what? If you're on the right path and you're doing the right thing, you can't let those things bother you. Oh, they do. But you still have to get through it. And then as he said in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary in his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. And then look at the comparison that's made. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. What's it say? God corrects those whom He loves. Just like a father corrects his son or his children whom he loves, whom he has delight in. Think about that. God's way is to teach discipline. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 15, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. I have no problem with parents that want to spank their children when it's done properly. I understand that there's a difference in properly disciplining and then also abuse. There's a big difference. And the difference is love. You care about that child. And you're not doing it because you want to do it. You're doing it because you're wanting to help that child. And it gets back to you know the, the, the phrase that I heard when I was growing up. This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Well, I'm thinking, how's it hurting you more than it's hurting me? I'm the one that's getting hit here. How's it hurting me? But then as I got older and I became a parent myself, I understood what that meant. Because you're not doing it because you want to, but you're doing it because you love that child and you want that child to grow up and you want that child to do what is right and you want that child to end up in heaven. That's the goal. And I know the language there is strong when he talks about a rod. I was never beaten with a rod. And maybe your parents were abusive. Maybe they did things they shouldn't have done. But guess what? You're still you. And you can still be what God wants you to be. And God loves you and cares for you. 
And He wants you to be in heaven. And moms and dads that abuse that right and that privilege of being a parent, they'll give an answer. God notices. You see, as I said, God sees what you do, whether it's good or bad, talking to teens. But guess what? He sees it when we're parents too. And not only does He see the action, He sees the thought that goes into it. Are we doing it out of anger and hate? Or are we disciplining because we love? Maybe our kids have a friend that comes over to our house. And I'm pretty sure that if that happened, you wouldn't be able to spank them because I don't think that that would turn out too well for you if you did. So what do you do when your, when your child's friend comes over or someone in the neighborhood comes over and they're spouting off words that they shouldn't say? Maybe it's a curse word. Maybe it's taking God's name in vain. Maybe they're saying something that's totally inappropriate. How do you discipline that? How do you correct that? Well, in my house, we don't talk like that. And you can explain why you don't talk like that. And you do it in a loving way. You can show them and tell them that you respect God if they're taking God's name in vain. And that we don't use that kind of language because we have a standard here that we live by, which is God's standard. And it gives you an opportunity to teach that child. Oh, they may be embarrassed. Oh, your child may want to go crawl in a closet and close the door and pull a blanket over their head because you've embarrassed them. But if they're living by the right standard, they should appreciate what you're doing. And I'm of the belief that many times our children want us to help them, to correct them. They don't want to be left alone. They need help. And our goal isn't to embarrass them. Our goal, whether it's our child or the neighbor's child or someone else's child, our goal isn't to embarrass them. Our goal is to love them and to show them that we care about them and their soul. And you want them to see that you live by God's standards and that there's something different about your house. You know, sometimes we go, you know, kids go over to someone else's house and they open a refrigerator and there's beer and alcohol or stuff in there. They hear things that are spoken that they shouldn't hear. And they come home and they can do everything they want to do. I want to be like that. You know what? Some of those people that are out there, some of those kids that are out there like to come to your house because you don't do those things. And you should be happy. Don't be ashamed. And whether that child is your own or the neighbor kid, you and I should aim to help them change their attitude and their behavior. And if you know, and if they know that you love them, that you delight in them, you know that you you uh, you don't mind them coming to your house. You love for them to come to your house. And they've earned the right in your eyes, or you've earned the right in their eyes, to ask them to change. Yelling at them will not work. Punishment won't work. At least not for the most part. But loving them will. 
But here's the deal. If all we accomplish in that child's life is to change their attitude and their behavior, then we've failed. Solomon wisely said to his son, Trust in the Lord with all thy heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your path. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. In other words, our main goal should be to get our child to love God. To bring them to Jesus Christ. The point is, whether it's your child or someone else's, our goal should always be to challenge them to belong to God. Because not only do we want our children to get to heaven, we want other children to get to heaven too. And so to love God and to be His child is something that is important. But they'll only do that if they sense that we love them and care about them and delight in them. So my question this morning is this. You need to ask yourself, is it true that Christ lives in me? Ask yourself that question. When you look at your life, can they see Christ living in it? Do your children realize how important God is and His standard and His will is in your life? If people come into your home, do they see how important it is that God is a standard in your house? If not, then maybe there's something wrong. And maybe you need to change your life. And if you're not a child of God, then obviously Christ cannot live in you. And so you need to be a child of God. And how do we accomplish that? By being baptized into Christ. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. What do we need to believe? We need to believe that gospel. The gospel message at First Timothy chapter First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verses one through four tells us it's the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. We need people to know that. We need to let people see that it's made a difference in our life, in the way that we behave, in our attitudes. And if they can see Christ living in you and me, maybe you're not living like you should. I would encourage you to make those changes. Maybe you haven't been the right example to your children. Tell them. You don't have to tell me. Tell them that you're sorry and that you want to change. And as children, maybe you haven't been what you should be. Nothing wrong with telling mom and dad you're sorry. <clears throat> Be sincere when you do it. They'd love to hear that if that's the case. But if you're all doing being faithful, I want to encourage you to continue to be faithful. Because I want to get to heaven. And I want you to get to heaven. And I want to be there with some people I know. And I think that would be great if all of us made it there. So this morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, you can do so. You have that opportunity while we stand.